again, I want to say good morning and welcome. Today we begin a new teaching series I'm calling Opt In. And in this teaching series, we are going to pay particular attention to our cultural location of here and now. We know that culture is almost always changing and often shaping us for better and for worse. Uh, we expect those changes over a long period of time. Most of us, we don't expect life in 2023 to look the same as it did in 1923. Uh, we expect those changes. In 1900, the average life expectancy here was 47 years old. 47, that's what you get. Well, it's been north of 75 for 30 years now, and I don't think that surprises many of us. We expect life to look and feel uh, different in 2023 than it did in 1923, but sometimes those shifts, those changes, they accelerate, and we're not talking about life looking different than it did 100 years ago or even 30 years ago, but we're talking about three years ago. And things look and feel different than they did before. And it, it feels like the ground underneath this is moving. And there are things that we see that are different than the way they were before. We look up even in this place and things look different. Not just the arrangement of chairs when we walk into the room, but there's, there's empty chairs. Who hasn't noticed the empty chairs? There, there are fewer people here than there once was. I don't know anybody who loves that truth, but it doesn't change the truth. And we look up and we see things, things are different here. And if you zoom the camera lens out a little bit, you notice it's not just here. Maybe you notice parking lots when you're driving up and down Franklin Road and churches. And there are lots, there are plenty of parking spots and churches. You see the, the shifts in 2010. 45% of Americans, when asked, do you attend a weekly service, said yes. 45%. That number had hovered there for a long time. When 2020, it was 29%. And though we talk a lot in terms of the pandemic and the effect of the pandemic, but that number was close to the same in 2019. You talk about a seismic shift. And I'll tell you, in the last three years, that number has not gotten better. So half, half as many people in the span of 15 years, about half of the people who were engaged in a weekly gathering are currently engaged. That's a huge shift. And so you may see empty chair here and parking spots and churches, but if you take the camera angle out just wider than that, you notice that's not the trend everywhere. In fact, there's an trend of explosive growth that's not three years old or even 30 years old in the global south um, serving with eyes wide open. David Livermore quotes these numbers. In 1800, 1% of Christians lived outside of North America and Western Europe. In 1900, it was 10%. In 2000, more than two-thirds of the Christian church live outside of North America and Western Europe. That is staggering. Uh, not just decline of North American church, but the explosive growth of the church in the global south. And so I don't know what you think when you think typical Christian, but you probably should be thinking uh, 
female, theologically conservative, poor, and person of color because there are far more Christians in the global south than there are here. And so we take that camera angle out and we notice trends. Of the 50 largest churches in the world, none of them are in North America. When I saw that, that was not none, not one. You see, churches, not just in the global south, but in Korea and the expansive growth that's happened in places like that. And so we see these. These are things we see. We see empty chairs. We see parking spots. We see the, the rise of the church in the global south. We see the gravity of the church shifting southward. But that's not all we see when we look here. Not just empty chairs. Not just fewer people participating. I, I see more than empty chairs. I see empty spots in us. That ache, that longing for more. How many of you watched coverage of DeMar Hamlin's injury on Monday Night Football about a month ago? Whether you watched it live? Okay, most, most of the room. Uh, it's, it's an odd thing for Ashley and I to be watching Monday Night Football if there's not a team that we're tied to. But for whatever reason, we had it on that day. We were in the house. We were talking about a thousand other things, and it was kind of playing in the background. I didn't even see the injury uh, but then I, I started to see the team gather, and quickly you got this sense that this isn't just an injury. Something else is different. You see the faces and look at the players. If you don't know, DeMar Hamlin was injured, and they were working on him. You see the team gathered around to pray. But I wish I had one of those tickers where, you, you know, you count pitches in baseball or people to count the number of times over the next hour as I was tuned into that coverage that I heard the word prayer. Meals. Prayer, 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 prayer. And it wasn't just people talking about prayer. Even on networks like ESPN, there's people who felt, hey, we need to stop right now and not just say, you need to pray, but we're going to pray right now. And the thing that felt like it was the only thing in the world an hour ago, it, it didn't matter at all, did it? <laughs> And those most vested in the playoffs, and those were the people saying it. And you see not just empty chairs, but some empty spots in us as we long for more than what we currently have in our hands. These are some of the things we see, the shifts we see. But there are shifts that we don't just see external to us. We feel, we feel them happening here. And you, you may catch a glimpse of it when you think about something like this, the Bible. I grew up in a world where um, the authority of Scripture was just assumed. The Bible was right, and it was reliable, and it was relevant. And most of us are still here because we, we believe that, but even sometimes in ourselves, we find ourselves saying, the Bible, it's right, and it's reliable, and it's relevant, right? I, when, I, when I began in ministry, uh, I felt pretty safe about the assumption that I could turn to literally any obscure story or text, and most of the people who heard the sermon would start with the assumption that this is not only reliable, but it's relevant. It didn't matter. Obadiah, Zephaniah didn't have to have some catchy title. It's just like you turn to it, and it's like, this is reliable, and it is relevant how could you ask otherwise? And that's not the world we live in. Now, even 
some of us, as we think about text, we find ourselves wondering, consciously making a decision to trust where we don't even remember making the decision before. And if that's not a shift you feel, uh, this next week, turn to a text, and where you see the words LORD in all caps, or Yahweh, substitute ZEUS for Yahweh. And see how you feel about that same text. And immediately, you say, well, that's not trustworthy. I don't know Zeus. It's not reliable. And you think, well, how would it become trustworthy? And what would you think about that text? Because it is the world that we live in, that many of our kids are deciding. And it's not that they won't decide to choose. It's that they must decide. They're consciously opting in. Please hear me. I believe with all my heart that this is right and reliable and relevant and I regularly encounter God through the sacred text, not diminishing that. I'm saying we've, we're living in a world where authority was once assumed, and now it's being decided and discovered, and we're consciously making decisions. You see it, uh, you feel it when you think about the Bible. When I say three texts in this series, we're going to read three texts for the road ahead. If I said that phrase, just that phrase, three texts, any other place other than this stage on Sunday mornings, you would naturally assume text, text messages, right? You are far more likely to scroll through your phone looking through messages than to open up this. And so it, it's a world where we're consciously making a decision to trust. You see it in things like the assembly, the gathering, uh, the world I grew up in even. Uh, it was a pretty safe assumption to ask, where do you go to church? We, when we went on vacation, we didn't ask, uh, will we go? We asked, when will we go and where will we go? I remember going on Wednesday nights to places I'd never heard of, being stuck in some class against my will. Well, we're on vacation. We don't need to show up on a Wednesday night to a club. But that was a, it was a different world. Uh, Coaches and administrators, you couldn't schedule anything on a Wednesday night. And it wasn't always because the coach or administrator valued church. It was just the practical, like, I'm not going to get people to show up. And we see some of that external, but we feel some of it inside of ourselves. I had conversations with so many in this room and struggling to make it into this room who said, you know, the pandemic really, it, it disrupted some of that routine. And now I find myself making decisions. You know, we, we kind of took a break from that, and plenty of people say, yeah, the world didn't fall apart. Do I want to come back? Do I need to come back? What, what, what happens here in this space? And you're here because you've decided this matters, and there's something, there's something that God longs to do and is doing in this time, but we're making a decision that some of us didn't grow up making. It was just assumed. You, we see it, we feel it, empty chairs, empty spots. But, but, but the shifts that we're talking about are far more than how many people are in church or how often. Uh, we, we feel the, the polarization. You don't have to be in church to feel the polarization that exists in North America now. I um, saw in Time Magazine, in between Thanksgiving and Christmas, there was this article last year titled, The Holidays Are Around the Corner. A time for families to come together and more and more to come apart. And it's a primer for how to talk respectfully to each other at the holidays in light of the political polarization that exists in America. How many of you have felt that 
Not everyone. I, we, we see it. We feel it. Plenty of people feel it. Kids, families. How do we talk to each other? Not advocating that it's a good thing or it's a bad thing. We wish that it wasn't true. But this is the world we live in. A polarized world. A world where we're making decisions. And in light of this, um, I get to meet with this, this group, this great group of men and women, and we get to read text and think about the road ahead. And I said, what, what are three texts? Text messages? The text. Sacred text. That are going to be crucial in light of where we find ourselves now. Uh, because we live, and, and when I say opt-in, it's my attempt to name. Um, we are consciously making a decision to opt-in. Uh, you, you've all ended up on an email list that you didn't want to be on, yes? Like, oh, I don't know, when, when did I get here? And you kind of have to opt out of that, but it's like it's automatically assumed you're in until you opt out. Um, in Jackson, I had the privilege of working with this great group of people uh, who administered funds for utility assistance. And we got to feel the difference between opt-in and opt-out because they rounded, anybody who had JEA in the county, they rounded up the bill to the next dollar and then they distributed those funds to people in need and you had to opt-out. What's an enormous difference? Opt-out versus opt-in. And we are living in a transition from, well, it's assumed I'm going to be here to why and will we opt-in, uh, a transition where faith was assumed, and now, uh, and it was always an option to opt out. And you know plenty of people, I want to paint a picture as if people never opted out, but you had to opt out, uh, and now we live in a world where maybe we're choosing to opt in. And however you would name the cultural location of here and now, I said to this group, what are three texts that are going to be helpful, crucial? for the road ahead. And so that's what we have over the next three weeks. This text from John, another one from Peter, and then Isaiah. And over all of that, a lens. This text I mentioned as we began today from Colossians 3 that we're going to memorize together. I want to invite you to take it in. Um, memorize it. I want to read just the first line of this Colossians 3. Uh, the word of Christ must live in you richly. I, I believe that. The word of Christ must live in us richly. I believe we need, I need, we together need uh, the voice of God that comes to us through this sacred text. And so with that, I want to invite you to stand. Our scripture reading today comes from John chapter 13. Uh, we stand in reverence, we stand recognizing the need we have, these words that come in red letters, in just two verses. But we pray, God, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see you and hearts that learn how to trust you together. I give you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, so you also must love each other. This is how everyone will know that you are my disciples when you love each other. 
This is the word of God for the people of God. Together we say, thanks be to God. Be seated. I'm eager to hear from some of you as you think about texts that are crucial for the road ahead, what might make your short list. But I know why this one made it. This is one of those texts where the call is clear. It's not a piece of scripture that is particularly difficult to parse. Love each other. The call is clear. But the stakes are high. They are so high. Not meaning to suggest this text wasn't crucial five years ago or ten years ago or a hundred years before that. But I see how just how high the stakes are. I had a conversation uh, last fall um, with Keelante and Delante, my two that are about to turn 23 in a couple weeks. Uh, it came in the context of a week that wasn't uh, my favorite church week of, of last year. It was just a, it was a hard week. There was a lot happening. I had a meeting cancel and I had a free evening. And I said, do you want to go get dinner? So we went to a Mexican restaurant, uh, just impromptu, me, Quilante, and Delante. And they said, so how's your week? How's church? How are things going? And I, I told them the truth. And I told them a story or two without names of just some of the things that were happening and people who were having a... A hard time. You're having a hard time saying some nasty things, not to each other, more about each other and learning to stay in the same room. And so I told him the story and I kind of unloaded the story and I just expected that to be that until one of them, I don't remember if it was Key or D, looked back at me and said, it's not even that bad at work. I was working at Home Depot at the time. And immediately I felt like this defensive wave come over me of the people in the church that I love. And I thought, oh, no, 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 I'm just back up. But I, I, what, they did what? They said what? It's, it's not even that bad at, at work. And I got a glimpse of why this matters so much. In a society, like it or not, where those we love, those we raise, born in our families, are deciding How much of this do I want to opt in? And as they watch and they witness the church, it's a problem uh, when the way they treat each other at Home Depot is better than here. And quickly, oh, that's not the norm. It's not everyone. And they begin to talk. But you, you got a glimpse of just how much it matters. And not just now. Jesus said, Jesus said, this will be our calling card. Notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say they will know you. They will know you by your common understanding of the New Testament. I mean, how many hundreds of years was it before they would even have the New Testament available to them in their hands the way we do now? He didn't say they will know you by your common understanding of the New Testament. They will know you by how you vote in the fall or your conviction on these three key issues. No, those, those are identifying markers that we've grabbed. But Jesus says they will know that you are my disciples when you love each other. And before we say, well, you know, it's it's a different world. Remember who is at the table. The context of this command is the table. Remember who was at the table in John 13, because this was not a table where everyone would always reciprocate. 
Jesus knows human nature. He knows what's going to happen here. He knows full well who he's talking to. Disciples will run. Peter will turn. Judas is there. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, it is possible to love each other in a way the world notices. But church, it doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen by default. Uh, the the follow-up question, that same meal at the Mexican restaurant, uh, Dee started asking more questions. She said, well, they, these people, who, who are they? And are, they, are they new? Are they, are they new to the church? Are they new here? And I said, no, not, not new. Been around for, for decades. And you realize there's not an autopilot feature that just kicks in because we're in the same room on Sundays. We automatically just start loving each other. I, I wish we could just flip that switch, you know? Do, do something a little different with the, with the chairs or the song service. and with, oh, oh, Love each other like this. It, it, it's crucial. And I believe it matters. It matters because the world is watching. Jesus says that. It matters because our kids are watching. And, and while I believe we need to be honest about the fact that we haven't always nailed this, we also need to tell the story that, that we have all Every single person in this room has experienced the grace of God, the love of God through the love of a sister or brother. That's the other side of the story I did get to tell T. No, they, those people aren't new, but you know, we're all a work in progress and they're also not the norm. There's something that happens. We can name a time when we have tasted the grace of God through the hands of a sister or a brother. It matters. This call to love each other, it matters because the world is watching. It matters because our kids are watching. It matters because Jesus himself names it as an identifying marker of those who follow him. It matters because contrary to popular belief, we cannot, cannot live out this calling by ourselves. I, I can't do that. You, you can't do this by yourself. Hear the command again. Just these two verses, see, see how many times you see each other. I give you a new commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you also must love each other. This is how everyone will know that you are my disciples, when you love each other. How do we each other without one another? I'm not just talking about another body. I'm talking about somebody who is as difficult to love as I am. Those people who we, we disagree, we frustrate, and even disappoint each other. You know, there are some things that we only absorb in that struggle, and it is a struggle. Jesus knew it was a struggle at this table. He knew they weren't always going to nail this. But he also knew there's something about the nature of God we won't get apart from that struggle to love each other. It's in that struggle to love each other and forgive each other and keep coming back to each other. And we stumble forward that we catch a glimpse of who God is. We realize, you know what? If God treated me the way we treat each other, this relationship would have ended before it started. It's in that struggle to love each other. 
This matters. This call to love each other, it matters because the world is watching, because our kids are watching. It matters because it is crucial to the call. You know, even the Lord's Prayer is prayed in the plural. Give us. Forgive us. Lead us. And can I just say, as grateful as I am for the front door of online church, for those of you right now who are worshiping from home, maybe because you can't be here or maybe because you're trying things out and you're putting a foot in the door, I am so grateful for the front door, for the possibilities that are created. Can I also say, I, I'm concerned. This, this love, this like just as I have loved you, love each other, I don't know that it happens just because we log online at the same time. Or for that matter, let's tell the truth, because we showed up in the same room on Sundays. It's not a default there either. But it does happen. And I think that's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about this text. I've seen it happen. I've watched it happen. I've been the recipient of it happening. By the grace of God, something happens when we begin to absorb what Jesus just said and did. This command, this call to love each other, this table command, it looks back and it looks ahead. It comes on the heels of what Jesus just did. It comes in anticipation of what Jesus is about to do. This table command to love each other. We remember that the one who was there when the cosmos was created just got up and washed our feet. Washed our feet. And then he says, just as I have loved you. I, this, this love each other. I know that, that could be a generic watered down on any commercial you see in the Super Bowl. Just love each other. What makes this distinctly Christian is this is not just warm fuzzies that you feel in your heart for, for people who agree with you. This is the get up from the table, wash each other's feet for the person who's about to walk out of the room and turn on you. Just as I have loved you. This command comes on the heels of what Jesus just did. It looks in anticipation of what Jesus is about to do. The one who holds all power in his hands, all authority on heaven and earth, is going to lay down his life for us, just as I have loved you. Church, I believe this text is crucial because the world is watching, because our kids are watching, because it's central, but it's also crucial because it anchors us and what we're aiming at. We're aiming at something different because what we received is distinct. We're not aiming. I know you could see this commercial um, next week on the Super Bowl. They love each other, but this is a different kind of love. And we're not aiming simply at what is good, right, and fair. We're aiming at how do we, not how do I, but how do we Reflect what we receive. How do we reflect what we receive in Christ? Just as I loved you. Just as I loved you. And church, however you would name or describe the cultural shifts, may you say, oh, I don't feel it exactly that way. I see it a little differently. Plenty of cultural shifts we see and feel and experience. Some of them good, some of them anything but good. Hear this, this call, it's just as compelling today as it ever was. It's one of the reasons I want to opt in. 
There's a whole world out there that will love you when you agree with it and produce for it. Whole world. Shower you with affection when you agree with it and produce for it. That's not this. That's not what happens at this table. This is the table where we remember who we are. And I get to invite you in just a minute to the table, the table of grace that is prepared for us as we break bread and share from the cup. This is the table where we remember or anchored and the reminder of who we are. We are the people who got our feet washed from the one who made us. We're the people who received grace when we should have been shut down. We are the people who learn that it's a process, it's an ugly start again, stop again, forgive us, did I, can I come back around kind of process. But we are the people who learn to love each other because he first loved us, amen? That, that's who we are. And, and I need this anchor in my week, every single week gathered with those somebodies who are as difficult to love as I am because it gives us a glimpse of who God is. And so I get to invite you to that table. I want to offer a prayer, and then we're going to read these words one more time, these words from Jesus about our call, our commission, and what might just cause the world, our kids, even even ourselves, to catch a glimpse of who God is. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your grace. You shower it on us. Forgive us when we think we're entitled to it. Remind us that, that you loved us when we were a long way off. That you love us even as we continue to fall short. And Lord, we pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would help us. Help us love each other. Help us take first steps in that direction where we need to say, I'm sorry and forgive me. And will you help me and tell me more in the practical things that, that look like loving each other the way you have loved us. And Lord, we pray that we would do it in such a way that gives people a glimpse of who you are. Now as we gather around your table, as we break the bread and drink the cup, remind us of who we are and who you are. Help us hear you and see you as we encounter you through the bread and the cup. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to release you to the tables in just a second after I read these texts. If you're visiting with us today, uh, we have tables on the outside of this room. All are welcome. It's not my table. It's not Woodmont Hills Church's table. It is the Lord's table. You are all welcome at the Lord's table. Uh, I pray wherever you are and however you're worshiping, if you're not here in the room with us, that you'll uh, make provisions to join us at a table that is bigger than this room. Um, but hear these words one more time before I send you to the table. I give you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, so you also must love each other. This is how everyone will know you are my disciples when you love each other. Come to the table.